Hey, Crosswalk Church, we are excited that you have hopefully had a wonderful worship service now that you're here with us, having the opportunity to open the Word of God, and uh, we're going to do it in the new year. If you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Church in Redlands. I'm the lead teaching pastor for our Crosswalk Global Network of Churches, which continues to grow. I want to give a shout out to Hartford. It looks like you guys have a venue and you're start getting started off in your new spot, which is just amazing. You guys are moving at an incredible pace and that means God is blessing all the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening and following the call of God in this new year. And it is all always exciting to be in a new year. And we're starting with a new series called New Wine. And um, listen, if you want to know what's going on with Crosswalk Church kind of across the board, one of the things that you should do is go back to our Redlands campus and take a look at last week's uh, sermon. It was more of a report, really, of what's going on both at our Redlands campus, but then what's going on kind of around the world in Crosswalk, which is really exciting. And uh, we made the announcement that we are planting a church in Point Loma, California, which is right in San Diego County, right above the airport there, actually, right by Point Loma Nazarene University. And um, just an incredible opportunity that our conference has given us. We have a new um, uh, church down there that we're going to kind of redo and re-inhabit and replant. So we are excited to do that. And um, New Year's has this tendency to make us think about what promises we've made to ourselves and others, right? We have a tendency to think about new resolutions. Even though resolutions seem like they were so 2010s, don't they? Um, like I asked my kids, like, what resolutions do you have? And they're like, what are you talking about? We're just gonna keep being who we are, which I think is great because I love my kids and I think they're wonderful. And you may feel the same way or you may have made some promises. Our biggest promise in the new year, I guess would be this, that we're gonna continue to follow where God is leading. And if that means to plant more churches, if that means to slow down on that, um, if that means to make our Crosswalk Conference, that's gonna happen in April, April 19 and 20, something that you don't wanna miss and you want to be at, all those things are going to happen this year. So we're just gonna continue to follow God. But we decided that this first series of the year would be called New Wine. And so why this series? Kind of as 2024 unfolds, we have to decide whether or not we're following Jesus or if we're following just tradition. Are we following power structures? Or are we finding um, the new smell of a different bouquet of the new wine that Jesus has for us? A new year is a new opportunity to ask these questions. But first, what we need to do is get some context. So we're our kind of our guiding, guiding text throughout this whole series is um, taking a look at Luke chapter five. And today we're actually gonna take kind of a deep dive into the whole chapter of Luke, which for me is really important till we get to that final um, saying where we talk about new wine. Because all of chapter five is really a new proposition, right? It begins with this calling of the disciples, calling of the, the first disciples, and he calls them to be fishers of men. See, Jesus is providing what they thought they wanted, which was fish, if you know the story, and then being given a new calling. He gives them a new calling. He says in Luke 5.10, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. See, they had been fishing all night and they didn't find anything. Jesus said, hey, go back out, throw your nets down. You're gonna catch more than you can imagine. Another boat has to come to get all the fish that they have. So he's, what he's done now is he's not just 
provided for their physical needs, but he's also said, listen, I have actually a new profession for you. Rather than being fishermen, you're going to be fishers of men, right? They're a new title, a new profession, a new purpose, and a new proposition, right? And it's fascinating because as men, we have a tendency to define ourselves by kind of who we, kind of by what we do. Who we are is really what we do. It's the first question guys ask each other when they meet themselves at a party. So what is it that you do? Um, Nobody answers that question like, you know what? I'm just a dad and I just love being a dad to my kids. That's my absolute vocation and calling. We usually like, I'm a plumber. I'm a whatever I am. I'm a physician, whatever. It doesn't matter. But all of chapter five is this new proposition that Christ has given us. So the first thing he says is, you thought you were fishermen. Now you're going to be fisher of men. And then we see a pericope talking about the cleansing of the leper. This is chapter five, verses 12 through 16. And um, he gives this leper a, a new personhood, a new prescription for the way he could live, and even kind of a new pharmacy, how he's going to be healed. Then rather than seeking fame, we see Jesus re, 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 resigning, withdrawing to a desolate place. It says he needs some time to pray. And if you know the story, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because there's a lot we have to get through today. But taking a look at Luke 5 verse 13, Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I'm willing. See, the leper had said, listen, I know that you can do this if you're willing to do this. And Jesus says, I am willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. You see, there was this new intimacy. Jesus touched the leper, scripture tells us. Then Jesus instructed him, looking at verse 14, then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. It's a new prescription, right? Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. So he's giving them not only a new intimacy, but a new instruction. Don't tell anyone right? Which has got to be hard if you're someone who's a leper and you've been away from society and you haven't had the opportunity to really get together with, with the people that you love. And now all of a sudden you're cleansed and you are proven cleansed at the temple. You're going to want to tell everyone. And in fact, the story actually reflects this because in Luke 5, 15, it says, but despite Jesus's instruction, the report of this, of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach to be healed of their diseases. See, it didn't matter what Jesus said, don't tell anyone because the people were astonished by what he did. After this, Jesus, we see withdrawing to the wilderness for prayer. Some scripture says to a desolate place. And if you, you, know, if you feel like the wilderness is desolate, then, then maybe you feel that as well. But what we see is not only a new intimacy, not only a new instruction, but we see a new elimination, illumination. Jesus needed to be alone and pray. So we learn something about Jesus. And in turn, we learn something about ourselves that we need to find that time for that unhurried opportunity to speak to God, particularly when something big spiritually happens in our lives. So as I've been proposing that all of chapter five is a new proposition, we see it also in the next pericope, which is the calling of Levi or the calling of Matthew. Jesus is calling this tax collector. And we're jumping to Luke chapter five, verse 27. And it says later, as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him. So what a tax collector was, was really a compromiser, right? It was someone who had, who had um, 
been willing to work with the oppressive power of the Romans and being, he's been willing to oppress his own people in order to uh, not only make good with the Romans, but probably enrich himself as well. And it's pretty clear that uh, often tax collectors were these people who would skim off the top, they would take away from people and they would do this to their own countrymen. So they were not well-loved people. There was lots of hatred towards them because they were capitulating to the system of power. Jesus sees him and says, why don't you come and follow me and be my disciple? So Luke 5, 28, Levi gets up, he leaves everything and he follows him. I, I often wonder why he was so compelled. What was Jesus offering? Because he left his possessions, he left his profession, he left his prophets, he left his politics and his personal identity all to follow Jesus. And then when he follows Jesus, we see right here in the very next verse that he felt like he had something to do about it. To Levi, following Jesus meant more than just wandering the countryside and listening to Jesus. Following Jesus actually meant using his influence and his skills for Jesus. Luke 5, 29, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. So we see Levi going from the tax table to the supper table, to the banquet table, right? Levi left the tax table and invited people to the supper table with Jesus, telling others what Jesus had done for him. His repentance did not lead to punishment. Rather, his repentance led to the banquet with Jesus. All this is setting us up for the text that we're about to get to. So stick with me, stay with me. So maybe I should ask a question here rather than just jumping into the next text. What did your repentance and salvation lead you to? Was it the burden of tradition? Was it a party? Did you find freedom or did you find religion? Remember, religion coming from the Latin word religare, which means what we bind ourselves to. Did you drink new wine or did you drink stale grape juice? What did your repentance and salvation lead you to in life? And then what have you done with that salvation? Did you become a disciple? Did you leave it all behind, all your possessions, all your profession, all of that? Did you give yourself over? Did you experience something new? Was your life changed? Is this the freedom that you found in Christ? And is this how you decided to live your life? I'm compelled by this particular story because Levi, when he's asked to go, just stands up and leaves. And you know, he comes from a particular religion. And so chances are the religion was going to ask him why? Because religion always asks us why? When we find ourselves in a new relationship with Jesus, accepting the new wine and living differently, thinking differently and making different decisions, the old wine will always ask, why in the world would you do that? In fact, the real question is, why would you mess with the status quo? And we're gonna get back to this question. So I want you to remember this question. Why mess with the status quo? Well, the Pharisees saw what had happened. They saw the banquet that Levi had put together that Jesus attended and the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus. And what did they say? Why? Why do you eat and drink with such scum, says the New Living Translation? And it's probably a fair translation. You see, Levi, Matthew, was considered to be a compromiser. He bought into a political system that was oppressive to them. He chose politics and profession over religion. 
So when he chooses Jesus over politics and profession and religion, the establishment couldn't understand. So they ask, why would you eat and drink with such scum. Now, this is a teachable moment. And I always love when there's a teachable moment because Jesus seems to take a step back, take a deep breath, and now he's gonna teach. So Jesus, in typical Jewish fashion, cited a proverb to emphasize his message. So Luke 5.31, Jesus answers them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Wellness did not drive people to the doctor. Illness did that. I was just watching another Netflix special about longevity, and this one had to be particularly about food. It wasn't a Blue Zones, it was about food. And one of my good friends was interviewed in it, Dr. Dean Shurzai, who's done some amazing work around Alzheimer's. He and his wife have uh, written a phenomenal book called The Alzheimer's Solution, I believe. And it talks about how how healthy you are in your 30s, 40s, and 50s determines how healthy you will be in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, which I think we should all listen to. And it's, it's talking about food. And he's, you know, talking about food as medicine, if you will. And so this, you know, it, it just reminded me of what Jesus is saying. Listen, it's not wellness that brought you to the doctor. It's sickness and illness that did that. And Jesus then clarifies, and he says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So Jesus did this misdirect, right? He turned the power structure on its head in one sentence. His salvation went beyond Israel, went beyond his faith tradition and peddled itself in the street with those who needed it most. It went where it was good news. You see, you gotta ask the question when you talk about the gospel and you talk about good news, who is it good news to? Is it good news to a power structure? Is it good news to the status quo? Chances are it's not. But the conversation continues before I go too deeply down that rabbit hole. The next pericope where we're headed continues this upside down proposition that Jesus seems to be working towards. It is the climax of the chapter. Jesus is exposing the power structures, the futility of tradition as a salvific tool and what he has really Come to do. So this is where the story gets serious. Luke 5:33 through 39, where we find this one day, some people. So it continues, some of the other texts say next, you know, it's a continuing conversation. Um, some people said to Jesus, now, John the Baptist's disciples, they fast and they pray regularly. And so the disciples, so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but your disciples always seem to be eating and drinking. Remember. Levi went from the tax table to the banquet table, from the grind to the party, from the binding to freedom, new wine. Jesus answers this question with three parables, three examples, and three metaphors, right? Jesus first responds like this. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. No, we acknowledge the groom. We acknowledge that the wedding couple is there. We acknowledge the new relationship that marriage brings. We find joy, even in the trepidation of this new relationship, right? We step into it with trepidation, but also with joy for what is next. But someday the groom will be taken away and then they'll fast. There will be a time, but the time is not now. 
there's an understanding that the joy of the physical presence of Jesus is just for a short time. Then things will actually change. So that's the first parable, the way that he answers the question. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. So he continues on. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch the old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment, particularly when you're hand washing things, right? And this is, remember, this is in the world before fast fashion, right? Um, my parents bought a home when my sister went to Michigan with her husband and um, they bought this old Michigan kind of farmhouse. It's relatively small. And what was fascinating when we walked through it, I remember this, I remember looking for the closets because that's something that everybody loves, right? Someday in my life, I will have a walk-in closet. I've never had one. Someday I dream that I will have a walk-in closet. Well, this particular house had no closets. And so when we were asking the real estate agent, like, where are the closets? What are you supposed to do? And they said, well, you know, you've got to kind of be creative with that. And down in the basement, they had some places where they had made makeshift closets, essentially. And he said, listen, this house was built at a time when these um, farmers had their overalls and then they had a jacket that they would wear on Sunday. Other than that, those are the only clothes they had. This is what Jesus is talking about as well. There's no fast fashion. You can't just go out, buy a new pair of clothes. There's not even you know, thrift stores at this point. You have to either make your own linens or you have to purchase them at quite a price and that's probably all you're gonna do. So you're, you're not gonna mess with putting something new onto something old because it wouldn't actually work. You'd actually try and find a, a, a relatively matching kind of fabric to go on so that it wouldn't pull in different directions because it's different, right? It, it would be a Frankenstein. It would be not complete. It would be strange. And then comes the text that we're leaning into for this whole series. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins, right? This is the big illustration, because they all understood about wine. It was an essentially in a commodity at the time, right? Sometimes the mechanics of making wine were even hidden as to keep it a commodity. And so it was special. Not everybody made it, right? And there's arguments about, you know, the alcohol content in the wine. And if we're talking about new wine, is it really fermented? We, we can go to those conversations ad nauseum and miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say. First, we've got to ask this question. Is this story about the wine or the wineskins? And the answer to that question is yes, it's about both. It's a deep metaphor that we're going to spend two solid weeks exegeting. So let's break it down. There are four elements in the story. What are the four elements in the story? Simple, but pretty profound. The first element we have is old wine. By the way, do you know what really old wine is? And I'm not talking, remember, we're not talking about a time where they're bottling wine. They certainly had amphoras and they would, you know, put wax seals over the amphoras, but by and large, people were carrying wine around in wineskins. What is old wine? By the way, old wine is vinegar. Old wine turns, right? We're talking about wine that needs to be thrown out as it's no longer any good for anything. If you've been reading the series guide, I told a quick story of something that happened when I was first dating my wife. We were up at her parents' house in Portland and we had just gone on a walk and we were 
you know, a little tired and a little thirsty by the time we got back. Because you know, new love, you go on long walks. We're old now. Our walks are a lot shorter and our dogs can't go very far. But that was a long walk where we got to share and it was wonderful. And we get home and we run up to the refrigerator because we wanted some cold water. And we open it up. My wife grabs the water bottle and she starts drinking directly from it. It turns out, however, that she started a gag and her face got all red and she drops this water bottle and is coughing and I'm worried, I don't know what's happening. Turns out she took a massive swig of vinegar. It was clear vinegar. It looked exactly like water, right? Sometimes when wine goes bad, it needs to be thrown out. It's no longer good for anything. I mean, we can stomach some vinegar, right? You know, there's a lot of diets that say you should have a little bit of apple cider vinegar every day. I've done it. I've checked it out. You know, you want to make sure your, butt, your gut biome, sorry, your gut biome, you want to make sure that that's doing all right. And so, you know, we can do this. But old wine turns into vinegar. It ceases to be useful. Don't take the metaphor too far. You can say, well, I, you know, I wash my windows with it. Okay, back then, that's not what they're doing. They're saying old wine. Is not great. And then we've got the second element, which is old wineskins. I, I don't know if you know too much about wineskins and the series guide talks about it more, so I won't go into too terrible depth, but it was often, um, goat, there were goat bladders, there were sheep's bladders, different kinds of bladders that they used essentially. And um, when you first make a wineskin, it's pretty supple and pliable, but when it gets old, it cracks it becomes brittle and it becomes actually relatively delicate. They're kind of a problem waiting to happen. So you pour new wine into them and they can't really take it. Why? Because the new wine is gonna continue to ferment and they can't expand because they're not supple. They can't accommodate for the chemical processes inherent to new wine as wine ferments. And, you know, if we wanna take this metaphor where we often do is our old religion so used to the old wine that while we still drink from it, albeit just a little, we have to be so careful as not to break it. I feel like we do a lot of this. We spend a lot of time defending our old wineskin. Is your old religion only good for defending? We see this all the time. We're gonna defend our faith. We're gonna protect our faith. All of this is language that is a, really a recognition that our faith is pretty fragile. Our faith tradition is something that could fall apart quite easily. And don't pour anything new into it because that may break it and it may just fall apart completely. It's not flexible or pliable. It's rigid and it's cracking and it's becoming of little use. Luke 5.38 says, new wine must be stored in new wine skins. So what's the third element? The third element is new wine skin, pliable, flexible, and ready to expand and even contract a little as the need requires. But it is solid, it is safe, and we don't need to treat it with kid gloves. I remember being in Pathfinders and I wasn't in Pathfinders a great deal. I got kicked out pretty quick, but I remember being in Pathfinders for this small amount of time and we had these, they weren't wine skins, but they were these, you know, essentially bladders and you'd carry them around when you went hiking and stuff. And I remember um, asking a buddy, can, hey, can I get a drink of that? And he threw the wine skin at me and I caught it and it fell because I wasn't all that coordinated and it fell on the ground and it was fine. You see, new wineskins don't need to be defended in the same way that old wineskins 
need to be. But new wineskins are really only as important as what you put in them, which is our fourth element, right? Which is new wine. So what is new wine? Well, according to Jesus, it's his message. It's his gospel. It's his good news. It is a new way of looking at salvation, a new revelation of God and a new improved understanding of our place as human beings in the universe, loved and cared for by God. It is the unmitigated favor and love and grace of Jesus Christ. It is good news. So maybe we just say it this way, new wine is good news, particularly for the sinner, for the ones looking for salvation for those in need of a savior. But you know, we don't stop at 538. We actually move on to Luke 539, where it says, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. And Jesus is pretty insightful here because he's turned things on its head. He's proposed this new wine that's important and he knows that they're not interested. So he, He's not being just insightful. He is cutting deep. He reminds them that they are not really interested in the new wine because it demands new wineskin. And they liked the old wineskins. They were comfortable with the old wineskins. They even got comfortable drinking a little bit of the vinegar that was left over. Right? No one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Old power structures built on human wisdom and old wine and human control will not work. God's new wine, his new system is the only thing that's gonna work. We are fine with things being fine. We are often great with things staying the same. We like the status quo because it gives us status. And how great is status? And I know I've talked about this a lot, so I'm not gonna talk about it anymore, particularly having to do with me liking to fly. The old systems can't take the new wine because it's too radical. It lets people decide what is good for them with God. It allows the Holy Spirit to convict and it gives people permission that supersedes the old wineskin. You see, we like the status quo because it gives us status. And status is different in the new kingdom of God. The new wine that Jesus has is something that's accessible for everyone. And the new wineskin has to be pliable enough. It has to be flexible enough. It has to be able to move. It has to be able to expand. It has to be able to shrink. It has to be able to do all these things that the old wineskin couldn't do anymore. But we like the status quo because it gives us status. And to just release the Holy Spirit on the world, I mean, come on. Not only is that radical, that's unhinged. That's not safe. And where do I fit in on that? I mean, why, why would you want old wine and old wine skin? And I think you gotta ask yourself this question, particularly in this context of this series. What are you trying to preserve? What are you defending? Has vinegar become so comfortable for you that you would rather have it than the new wine that is being offered? Has the gospel ceased to be good news because it threatens the status quo? Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. 
when I first got the crosswalk, you know, we were a struggling church and, you know, God blessed and we began to grow. And it was fascinating to watch as the room began to fill up, some of the people that were there were actually quite upset. They didn't want to say it because they knew it didn't sound right, but they were bothered that there were new people sitting in their seats, new people taking positions in the church, new people doing things in a different way than they would have necessarily done them. It didn't honor the tradition of crosswalk at the time. And they were quite frustrated with, frustrated with it. It was not good news that new people were being convicted and were coming in and serving the church. People were finding Jesus Christ who hadn't been in church in 10, 20, 30 years. That was no longer good news because it inconvenienced me and the status that I had. We like the status quo because it gives us status. The gospel destroys the status quo. So... What's new wine to you? And is God bringing new wine out of you? Through all these stories that we see in chapter five, right from the calling of the disciples, saying, I've got something new for you, a new profession, a new personhood, a new identity, to the calling of Levi, to the cleansing of the leper, all the way to Jesus saying, listen, your old wineskins aren't gonna work anymore because I have new wine and this new wine is so effervescent. It's so fomenting and fermenting that the chemical exchange that's happening in it is just gonna burst that old vessel that you have. We deny revival because it will mess with the status quo. We deny progression and forward movement as a church because it will change the traditions that we have. At some level, and at some point, you have to decide, are you going to let new wine be in you and move out from you? Or are you going to step back and say, I'm just fine with the old wine, the vinegar, it's enough. You know what ends up happening if we can push this metaphor just a little bit further? You only drink a little bit of vinegar because too much will make you sick. So we only engage this much in the life of the church, this much in the life that Jesus is calling us to, this much in following the Holy Spirit because that's all we can take because it's so putrid tasting to us. But the new wine is sweet. The new wine is the effervescence of the Holy Spirit. New wine is doing a good work in you. Are you ready to be a new wineskin? Let's pray over this today. God of the harvest, God the good gardener, when you say that you're bringing new wine to us, we need to not only take that seriously, but understand that it changes things. And so Lord, there's some fear in that. And when you were here on earth, you had to look people who were really comfortable with the way the status was and say, you know, it's all gonna change and they couldn't take it and they didn't wanna accept it. Lord, may we not covet the things that we have so much, whether it's the traditions, whether it's the, the prophets, whether it's the profession, may we not 
cherish those things so much that we won't, like Levi, step away from the table and go to the new table that you have for us. May we not be so comfortable with the old wine that we're not even interested in tasting the new. Lord, move us past it so that we can be a new wine community and a new wineskin church. Pray this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.